Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Thank you, Marianne. Uh, how long do you think you could go without eating? What's the longest you could manage? To the end of the service, perhaps, just about? An hour. An hour? <laughs> Has anyone um, tried to, to not eat for a whole day, maybe? It's reckoned, isn't it, that fasting is, uh, is quite good for us, physically as well as spiritually. Anyone think they could do a week without food? Seeing a lot, lot of heads shaking, not many nods. Um, it, it's reckoned, apparently, that uh, many people could last a month. Somewhere between a month and two months is kind of the maximum for most people before really bad things start happening to our bodies and uh, we find ourselves in lots of trouble. Um, what about water? How long could you manage without a drink of water, do you reckon? One second. <laughs> Probably much shorter, isn't it, than with food? Um, again, scientists uh, pretty much agree that it's no more than a maximum of a few days before we're in real trouble without water. And last of all, what about air? That's probably the big one, isn't it? How long can you hold your breath for? Anyone do 30 seconds? Reckon? A minute, if you're really good at doing it, and you've got, um, you can take in a lot of oxygen from your lungs. Most people can hold their breath for somewhere between 30 seconds and two minutes. The world record for a free dive, apparently, is nearly 25 minutes underwater, which is, just seems bonkers, doesn't it? But that is highly unusual, and even that isn't really all that long. We need those things, don't we? You know, we don't even think about things like air to breathe. We just need it all the time. We need water to drink. We need food to eat. They're the basics of life that we can't manage without. But once again this evening, we're thinking about how we're not just physical people with bodies who need things. We're also spiritual people, and we also need feeding spiritually. To live in God's world, we need his word to speak to us. And uh, this is the theme of our second week, thinking about the Bible and why it matters so much. Uh, over these four weeks, we're thinking about four key things that are true of the Bible that we need to know as Christians. As Tom was saying a few minutes ago, last week we thought about how the Bible is God's word. It's got authority. It's not just an ordinary book. Uh, we're going to think next week about how the Bible is understandable. Not always easy, but it's clear for us to understand. And then how it equips us to live. It, it's sufficient. It gives us what we need. But today our theme is to reflect on how God's word is necessary. We need it for salvation and we need it to live our lives. Uh, maybe it sounds dramatic to say it like that, you know, like we need air or water or food. You know, we cannot have life without God's word. Maybe that sounds melodramatic to you. I don't know. Uh, you might be thinking right now, well, there's, there's all kinds of people around Thurnby uh, living their lives, walking around, paying no attention to God's word uh, whatsoever, with no interest in reading the Bible and no interest in following Jesus in many cases. And yet they don't seem to be particularly dead, do they? But again, maybe not physically dead, for a while at least. But spiritually dead is how the Bible describes all of us without the Lord Jesus in our lives. Dead in our sins is how Paul puts it in the book of Ephesians. In a way which is actually far more real and serious than having a body that can do things like breathe and walk, which we trust ours will continue to do for hopefully a few more years at least. Which is why Jesus said, and we heard this last week, if you remember, in Matthew chapter 4, as he's facing the temptations of the evil one, 
Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Um, That's why the times recorded in the Old Testament when people didn't hear the word of the Lord uh, are so serious. It left God's people at those times like a diver running out of air. Um, You might remember the end of the time of the Judges, the book of Judges, uh, when things had gone really wrong and the people were spiritually starving. And at the beginning of Samuel, which comes afterwards, we're told in those days the word of the Lord was rare. It's no wonder, perhaps, it tells us at the end of the book of Judges that everyone did as they saw fit. They did not have God's word to guide them and to give them life. Well, you might remember just before Christmas when we were reading the books of Kings in our evening services. Do you remember the story of Josiah, uh, the king who discovered God's book of the law hidden away in a dusty store cupboard somewhere in the temple? And what had happened in the time when that book had not been available? The wheels had come off Israel's national life, hadn't they? Everything had gone wrong and no wonder. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And of course, when Jesus appeared, what did he do? He fed the people. He fed them literally on a hillside, 5,000 of them, didn't he? With um, with those loaves and fish. And then he said to them in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread who came down from heaven. So, let's have a think about these things. Let's have a look at that amazing story in Luke chapter 24. Uh, It's on page 1061, as I'm sure you found uh, when Marianne was reading it a moment ago. And if you'd keep that open for a few minutes, that would be great. Uh, And we're also going to refer back to that psalm we heard at the beginning of the service. Two reasons why... The Bible, God's word, is so vital for life. The first is that we can only make sense of Jesus through the scriptures. What do you do when you've got some big news to share? When you passed your driving test, some of us not long ago, for others it might be many years ago, uh, what did you do when you passed your driving test? Most people come through the door and they just can't can't stop grinning, can they? And waving the certificate around with the the satisfaction and the joy at having got it. Or what about a couple who've just got engaged? They're shouting it from the rooftops, aren't they? They're phoning their friends. They're posting the pictures wherever they can. They want to show people the ring. All those kinds of things. What do you do when you're the son of God and you have just risen from the dead? The day has finally come. You've done it. It's finished. Death has been defeated. The tomb is empty. Aren't you just jumping up and down, running through the streets, proclaiming it from the rooftops, calling out the news, I'm back, it's okay, I'm here. Maybe you'd have a flash of lightning or you know, at least some fireworks or something like that, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think? As one writer puts it, what I wouldn't do is sidle up to some friends one day as they're walking home in misery, tell them off, take them through a long Bible study, tear a loaf of bread in half and then vanish into thin air when they've just recognized me for the first time. Yet that is what Jesus does, isn't it, in this amazing story in Luke 24. It seems he really wants to begin with what the Bible says before he reveals to them who he is. And so after the quick rebuke, which is there in verse 25, isn't it? You guys, you really don't get it, do you? He goes through the whole Bible with them and shows them again how all of it has been pointing to the suffering and glory of God's Messiah, that it's been God's plan all along to bring his people to eternal life in this way. 
Just have a look at verses 25 to 27 at the heart of this passage. Jesus says to them, How foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. That phrase, by the way, Moses and all the prophets, it's a kind of shorthand for the whole Old Testament. The books of Moses, all the former prophets, what we would call the history books, and the later prophets, the ones like Isaiah and Jeremiah and all those guys. There's a whole world of summary there in verse 27, isn't there? You know, wouldn't you love to know exactly what went on in that Bible study? But here's the thing. Apparently, knowing that Jesus was alive could wait, but knowing that Jesus was the center of the story of the Bible could not. And what happens to these disciples here on the road with Jesus later on, after he's gone, after the penny has dropped, and they realize it's been him all along, that they say to each other in verse 32, wasn't it like our hearts were on fire? Weren't they burning within us while he was talking to us on the road and opening up the scriptures? And then a little bit later on that day, we didn't read this bit, but if you just glance forward a few verses, uh, we get the story of how Jesus met a few more of his friends later on. And he says to them, verse 44, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And Luke says in verse 45, He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. That's where the risen Jesus starts with his friends. He opens their minds. He sets their hearts on fire so they can understand what has been said about him in the scriptures. He knows they cannot live on bread alone or indeed water or air alone. Not for eternal life. They need to understand what God has said and they need to see that it's all about Jesus, that he's the one right at the center of the story. They cannot possibly understand God's world or find salvation and hope any other way. They need to get what God is up to. They need to understand his plan, which he has revealed over all those years through all those people through whom he has spoken. That's why we need the Bible. That's why it's not an optional extra for Christian faith. It's not something just for the keen people. That's why it's not a pick and mix. You know, take the things that we like because there are some passages which are favourites, aren't there? And put to one side the bits which we'd rather not have there. Because it's a story. And right from the beginning, right to the end, more than anything else, it is the story about the Son of God who came to rescue his world. We can't live without it. The world is full of people who are spiritually seeking in some way, isn't it? It's a natural, a normal thing to do. But what Jesus tells us is that we can't find God under our own steam, by our own efforts. It doesn't work like that. What we need is the God who made us to show himself to us, to reveal himself to us, to let us know what he's like. And he's done that. First and foremost, he's done it by coming to earth. That's why Christians celebrate Christmas, because God himself came to earth to show us who he is. And secondly, we see him in his word written, the Bible, which testifies to the son who came. That's why I want to say reading the Bible for the first time is sometimes such an amazing thing. I know people who started to meet Jesus for the first time when they've opened the scriptures and read it for themselves. 
Often I say to people who haven't read the Bible before, we'll start by reading Mark or Luke or one of the Gospels. I do have a friend who was given a Bible and he didn't know where to start, so he read the book of Judges and he became a Christian, which just goes to show, doesn't it? It's not where I would point people, but it can happen. And it's also why when we read the Bible, we sometimes have that experience, don't we, for ourselves, of God opening our minds and setting our hearts on fire. I know for myself that experience many times over the years of reading something in the Bible. Sometimes it's a passage which I know well and I've read many times before. And you know, it's like a penny drops. And I can see something for the first time. My eyes have just been blind to it. And it does feel like my heart is on fire. It's just bursting with excitement about something that God has done. Now, don't get me wrong, sometimes it's not like that, quite often, in fact. Uh, And I'm not pretending that sometimes reading the Bible can't be quite a hard thing to do, because our hearts are cold and, and, you know, we we find it easier to put it to one side. Uh, Sometimes my heart feels more like ice and my brain like sludge, but I think that says more about me than it does about God. We need the Bible, because it's the only way that God has given us to understand Jesus and to understand the amazing good news of what he's done. And then secondly, and a bit more briefly, uh, we can also only make sense of life and how to live it through the scriptures. Why is life often so hard? Uh, If I asked you the reasons for that, I wonder what you would say. Why is life sometimes really difficult? There are lots of things we could say to answer that question, aren't there? One of them is that there are just so many decisions to make. Don't you find that? Uh, We want the freedom to choose, don't we? Of course we do. I mean, I certainly do. I don't like being told what to do, if I'm honest. And yet choices are also really hard, aren't they? And they're often very stressful. Decision-making is not straightforward. We have to do it multiple times every day. Uh, Maybe you've had to make big decisions. We get those sometimes, don't we? Look, should I change my job? And what should I change it to? Should I go to university? And if so, which university? Should I get married? Or who should I get married to? Should I move house? You know, those kind of things. Life decisions. But actually, we make small decisions all the time, don't we? Should I go out for lunch? Should I go and get a Costa? Should I go to a cinema? Should I tell my friend why I'm feeling cross with them today? All kinds of little things like that. And so it's no wonder that Christians over the years, one of the questions that that they've often asked, and I'm sure many of you have asked this question as well, uh, how can we know what God wants us to do? Um, How can we know how he's guiding us? Maybe you've wrestled with questions like, you know, what is God's will for my life? How do I know when I'm hearing his voice? Good questions to ask. I hope you do ask them. Because if you do, I think it's a sign of being serious about putting Jesus first in your life and wanting to make good calls that are godly. And it applies to the big decisions around relationships and where we live and where we work and all those kind of things, but also to the smaller ones about what we do with our money and our time and our social lives and so on. Now, we could do a whole sermon series, I'm sure, on on this kind of thing, and maybe we will at some point. Um, The one thing I want to say this evening, though, is that just as We need the Bible if we're going to know Jesus and understand who he is and what he's done. We also need the Bible if we want to learn how to live wise, godly lives in God's world. 
as his people. Uh, Just flip back to Psalm 119, will you, for me for a moment before we finish. The longest chapter of the Bible. um, And turn to page 620. I'm not sure if 620 is the beginning of the psalm or the end. I think it might be the end, which is the bit that we heard read earlier on, which is where I'd like you to turn. Uh, Psalm 119 is a psalm, as you probably know, which is all about God's word. Um, Those strange characters in your Bible at the beginning of every eight verses, again, as you may well know, are the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Maybe when you were at school, you had to write an acrostic poem using the letters of your name down the side of the page, you know, R-O-B-E-R-T, and every line of the poem has to begin with a letter of your name. Psalm 119 is an acrostic psalm. Each section begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And it's a, it's a psalm in praise of the beauty of what God has said. So right through the whole psalm, if you take the time to read the whole thing, you will keep seeing these things. Uh, the writer keeps talking about God's word, his words, his laws, his statutes, his precepts, his decrees, his commands, his ways, his promises. They're all different ways, aren't they, of, of describing the things that God has said to his people. And it's a psalm that says to us in all these different ways that the best way to live life is by listening to what God has said. To just take that one example, perhaps the most famous words in this psalm, verse 105, which says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. It's a great image, isn't it? So imagine being out on a dark night somewhere, can't see clearly, the ground's uneven, There's wild animals out there somewhere, perhaps. Um, Well, that's what life is like sometimes, isn't it? That's how it feels. That's why making all those choices can feel hard. It feels like in our lives we're walking on uneven ground and we could easily trip over or take the wrong step, head off in the wrong direction. But your word, O Lord, is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Guidance from God, hearing his voice. This is where it starts. Now, by his grace, he may speak to us in a variety of ways. And I know Christians who've experienced God's guidance in a a whole range of different ways. But he will never contradict what he's said to us in his unchanging word. He'll never ask you to do something which goes against what he's already promised or said here. In the story of Jesus, who, of course, in the first chapter of John, is not only the word of God, but also the light of the world shines in the darkness, and who says in John chapter 5 about the whole of the Old Testament, Jesus says, these are the scriptures that testify about me. So he may not tell you who to marry, but he has spoken to us about what marriage is and how to go about it well. He may not tell you exactly where you should live or where you should work, but he's spoken about how to live and how to get your priorities right as you work those things out. And I suspect he probably, most of the time at least, won't tell you what to have for lunch. But yes, he has also said a great deal about the resources that we have in the world, about stewarding what we've been given, about provision, about greed, and about making good choices there as well. So if we want to live life wisely, if we want to make sense of life in the world, then that is why we start with the Bible, with the light for our path. Um, To put it another way, if we pray to God for guidance without reading what he has said, it's a bit like trying to have a conversation with someone and then blocking our ears while they speak to us. So this book, 
that we ought to read it. That's what we learned last week, because it's got authority. But I want to say this week, it's not just that we ought to read it, it's that we need to read it. And that if we don't, we're depriving ourselves of something which is basic for our lives. Amen.